0: Now, Romans 12, there's a big shift in the book of Romans when you get to chapter 12, is Paul tells us how we should be living as Christians. He's going to cover a lot of things in chapter 13. He's, talking, he's going to talk about our relationship with the government. He's going to continue to really press in on how we interact with one another within the local church because it's how we interact with each other in the local church that's so important. And the local church, it can be a really wonderful place or it can be a really bad place. Now, I've been a pastor for my basically my whole adult life. My father was a pastor, and so I grew up in in church. And churches tend to go in seasons when things are just wonderful. Everybody loves one another. Then there are seasons of conflict that come in disruptions, and sometimes it's because of personalities, uh, sometimes it's because of just sin. It's hard to really know. It's kind of like a, a church is a family. A lot of people just are put together and. Uh, you really have to be gentle with one another and patient with each other. And sometimes we're not as patient with each other as we ought to be. But in Romans chapter 12, in this last section, the apostle talks about the marks of the true Christian. The marks of the true Christian. Christianity is not a uniform you wear, per se. Christianity is a is a way of life. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, and then you live for him, and you follow his teaching. You live by his standards of conduct in life. So let's look this, this morning at verses thirteen to twenty-one, and uh, then we'll put a name into it. Thirteen to twenty-one. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's offer a prayer together. Father, we pray that you'd help us through your word this morning. And uh, I know from reading some of these verses, these are challenges to me personally, and the way that I am and how how I behave. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to learn from your word and to leave from this house of worship, determined to live with a life that's marked by true Christianity. We pray these things in Jesus holy and glorious name. Amen. In verse 13 we have this wonderful reading here contribute to the saints and seek to show hospitality. And basically we could sum this up by saying it means to give to benevolent ministry. Christians should be a benevolent people giving to the giving for the good of other people. Now, I've been around Christians a long time and I found that Christians are as are, are usually very giving people. They're very giving. They they give to things that benefit their communities. They give to social endeavors here in Sheboygan. All the churches here do a a really good job of working together to help people out who are less fortunate than others. And I go every Tuesday morning to the Sheboygan Area Ministerial Association meeting. They talk about different needs that the community has. And what's really nice about that, though, is although everybody's concerned about the benevolent needs of the community, all those pastors there without exception, are all concerned about the spiritual welfare of this community, the spiritual welfare, because they want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the ways we show people that Christ is a good and loving Savior is in our attitude, to, our attitude towards benevolence, contributing to the needs of the saints. Now, most of the time, when we talk about benevolent ministry, here in Paul's letter, it's talking about within the church, Within the church, benevolent ministry within the church, because it's within a fellowship like ours, where if we're a family and we're sharing things together, we watch out for one another. If somebody was here in the church and uh, this this happened, oh, this happened several months ago. I think I was out, I was going through the parking lot, and I saw Mike Ekins and uh, Daryl Hesselink trying to put a screw in somebody's back window. You remember that, Mike, out there? I don't remember whose car that was, but there was there was Daryl in the back. And Mike was trying to hold the glass and stick a piece, stick a screw in there to get it tightened up for somebody in the church whose back window had come loose. Just helping one another out. And I know there are other people here in the church. If if, the, if a wind came through and blew off your roof or blew blew your trampoline into the neighbor's yards, you guys ever have that happen? In Oklahoma, we had a trampoline, and one one morning, my neighbor came over and knocked on the door, and I said, "What do you want, man?" His name was Gary. I said, "Gary, what's up, man?" He said, "I want you to come get your property out of my backyard." I said, what you talking about, man? He said, your trampoline's in my backyard. Now, I, we had a fenced-in backyard, big six-foot privacy fence, and the wind had come through there and picked that thing up and set it right over in Gary's backyard. And I said, I'll be right. And so we had to take down the fence and drag it through. You know, but uh, you, you care about one another. You help, you help each other out within the church. Now, we, in our church, every communion Sunday, we have a benevolent offering we take up, and we have money in the bank for benevolent ministry. And over the years, in the years since I've been here, we've given the money from that benevolent uh, fund to people in the church who needed to move, and they needed a a security deposit for their rent, you know, first and last month, or that kind of thing. We've written checks to help those things. We've had people who are in the church who've had financial difficulties, needed car repairs, and we've written checks to help these people out. Now, if you're all thinking about, well, now I know where to get my money at, (laughs) You know, we, we, do, we do want to help one another in the church. And, it, and I've been a part of a lot of churches. I've never seen a church begrudge benevolent helping, helping others with the money. Now, there's two kinds of benevolent giving. There's giving of money and there's giving of yourself. Now, it's way easier to give money than it is to give yourself. If you, we see this in the federal government all the time. The government, they see a problem. What do they do? Allocate funds. $1.1 billion or $50 million for this or that, and they just keep throwing money at problems, but do the problems seem to be getting better? No. This is a big thing about education. If we just had more money in education, then schools and teachers would all be happier. Well, no, because they've been putting a lot of money into schools and education. It doesn't seem to be getting any better. It's harder to give yourself. Now, in a church... Sometimes it's not that somebody needs your dinero, a.k.a. money. What they really need is you, you to come over and help them out, you to come over and cut their grass or clean their gutters, you to come over and change the oil in their car or put new brakes on their car or volunteer your husband to do that. (laughs) So benevolent, helping one another, showing hospitality, showing that we care for one another. It's easy to give money. It's harder to give yourself. Now, the way the Lord's economy seems to be set up is that there are some people who are able to give, but they're not able to serve with their hands and feet. And we have both sides of that coin. Sometimes you could have a job or a career that keeps you so busy, you don't have time to invest yourself, but you can write a check to help, to help with something. This is the way it works, benevolent ministry. Contribute to the needs of the saints. As you read the New Testament in those those first 50 years or so, there is a lot of benevolent offerings that are taken up because Christians are suffering horribly in that first century. So contribute to the needs of the saints. Then in verse 14, the apostle tells us that we should bless those who persecute you. Now you say, what does this word bless here means? The scholars seem to indicate that this word bless means to pray. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them and do not curse them. Pray for those who are persecuting you. Pray for those who are giving you a bad way to go and don't curse them. Now, that's, that's the opposite of how we think about things. If somebody does me wrong, we want to do wrong back to them. If somebody hurts you, you want to curse them, not bless them. But this is a unique principle of Jesus Christ that we need to remember when we deal with people who are persecuting us because of our faith in the gospel Or for any other other reason. Persecution is a real part of our life of people being our enemies. And we need to have a benevolent spirit towards them as well. Jesus says to pray for them. Take your copy of God's word and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Listen to what Jesus says here. Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 to 48. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He says, look how God the Father treats those who are his enemies, those who hate him, those who would persecute his people. He's good to them in spite of how bad they treat him. Now That's hard to do. It's hard to be nice to people who are giving you a hard time. It's hard to be sweet to persecutors. But this is what Jesus says. And notice what Jesus says here about this in verse 47. If you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than the others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? If you love those who love you and hate those who hate you, he says there's nothing special about that. That's how everybody is. But the children of God are supposed to be a different kind of people. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In the Gospel of Luke, in the same section about Luke's account in the Sermon on the Mount, Luke says that, he records Jesus as saying that there is a blessing for those who when they are persecuted, they, they are kind back to those people. So bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now, this, 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 is, this is hard to live up to. And all the things I'm going to talk to you about today... They're impossible for you to do on your own. You need the help of the Holy Spirit to do these things. You have to have the help of the Holy Spirit. If you ever get a, if you ever get a chance to read the lives of some of the, the martyrs from England, in, when, when, uh, when Queen Mary was the Queen of England, you'll read about the martyrs going to the, going to the stake and being burned to death. But they weren't cussing the queen or the king. They weren't swearing at them. Instead, they were praying for them, praying for their persecutors that they would, come to faith in Christ, that they would believe the gospel. And that's, that's the networking of the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you ought to be getting sweeter as the years go by, not meaner and nastier. If the Holy Spirit is working within you, you should be getting older and sweeter. Older and sweeter. As the Holy Spirit takes more and more control of you. you so well, what does this mean in a practical sense? How do I live with this? in my day-to-day life, at school or at work. You just do what the Bible says. If somebody is persecuting you, you don't retaliate. You're kind to them in spite of how mean they are to you. You'll be surprised at how sometimes you'll win the battle, you'll win the conflicts if you just apply these principles of Jesus Christ. In verse 15, the apostle tells us that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We should laugh and cry at the right times. That means when somebody is going through a a happy time, you should rejoice with them and not say to them, well, this ain't going to last. Who needs a wet blanket, right? And then you have somebody who's going through a sad time. You don't go over there and crack jokes and try to cheer them up. You laugh with those who are laughing. You cry with those who are crying. You commiserate with them. It is wrong for us to insist that the weepers laugh or that the laughers tone it down. Rejoice with them. Cry with them. Bear ye one another's burdens, Paul says in Galatians chapter 6. If you if you ever get a chance to read the 88th Psalm, you'll see that sometimes people go through sorrows and what, it's always striking me about that psalm is that the writer says about God, you have done this to me. You have made me sad. You have brought me low. You have done these things to me. Because sometimes the Lord takes us into sorrows because it's in sorrows that we really learn something. The Ecclesiastes says it's better to go to the house of death than to the house of birth. Because in death, we really learn something there at the end. Sometimes people's sorrows are a part of God working in our life. And we have to learn to interpret things through the lens of God's providences in our lives, both through laughing times and sad times. And when you meet people in the local church, if they're going through a sad time, they're going through a a valley, a, a dark phase of their life, commiserate with them. Love them. Listen to them. Cry with them. Hold their hand. Walk through it with them. And if they're joyful, be happy with them. Now, you kind of got to be careful about this sometimes, is, is you've got to be a little cautious about um, when people are having a good time, when their life is going well, about becoming envious of them. Envious. How come they're always smiling and I'm not? <laughs> how, come, how come they fall into a bucket of stuff <laughs> and come out smelling like roses, but I fall in and I just stink? Don't be envious of others. And sometimes, if you're like me, you're kind of a glib person, kind of glib. And, you, and when you're trying to comfort people and you're glib, you can say, "Ah, yeah, get over it." You know, you're gonna be all right. My grandpa, when I would ever hurt my finger or stub my toe or something, he'd say, "I'd be crying." He'd say, "Ah, shut up! It's a long way from your heart." <laughs> That's how I learned to be a comforter right there. (laughs) Good old Paul. So what this this means kind of in in another sense is that we should care about one another and appreciate what each other are going through. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping. Now, in verses 16 through 21, these verses are all related. They're all related to the words, "...live in harmony with one another." Listen to the reading there from Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. How are we going to live in harmony or in fellowship with one another? We've got these guitars up here, and uh, I'll just use this one because this is the one that I was playing a minute ago. Harmony is like all these chords, if I just... Mm -hmm. That's G, C, G, ready? That's harmony. It sounds good, right? Doesn't it sound good? What if I crank one of these suckers out? Sounds good, too, doesn't it? That sounds to me, anyway. (laughs) You You get a string out of whack. And there's no more harmony. You lose all the beauty of it. Now, in a church, when everybody's tuned up, man, we, we, we do great stuff. But when we get a little out of tune, a little off balance, it's yucky. And so these are how, this is how we live in harmony. The apostle seems to be telling us that all these things are related to living in harmony with one another. Now, listen to the reading here. Live in harmony with one another... Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. This means that within the church, we should have no form of classism whatsoever. No form of classism whatsoever. You say, well, I'm not really sh- sure that I understand what classism is. So it means that those people who have very nice homes and very nice cars and very big bank accounts, they should accept and be sweet and loving and gentle to those persons who are living, who are getting food stamps and checks from the government and whose lives haven't really turned out that good. That's examples of classism. It's about social status. Now, in America, America is an unusual place because you can be born in one social strata, but by your own efforts, by hard work and scrupulous savings, you can rise you can rise through the ranks, and you can become a person of, of substance. Within the church, we have to guard against this, that we don't let classism creep in. You can see this in the gospel in the book of James as well. Do not be haughty. Don't be arrogant. Don't be lifted up, but associate with the lowly. John Gill points out here, says, this probably had a very definite application to the Roman Christians because they were citizens of Rome, the great city. And that they might have a, a higher view of themselves than those people from the country. You know, it'd be kind of like, I'm trying to think about else to illustrate this uh, without causing any problems, but I just can't do it. But don't be haughty. Don't look at other people and think you're better than they are. Because it's just by the grace of God that you are what you are. Just by the grace of God. Just by God's tender mercies. Just by God's tender mercies. Don't be haughty. Associate with the lowly. Care for one another. Don't let another person's value be based on how much money they have or don't have or what they can do for you. Don't be arrogant. Don't be lifted up in pride. I guess here's a good illustration. is We should love Buckeye fans as much as we love Spartan fans. Or anything else like that, right? That didn't get much of a laugh, so I mean it's too close to home. <laughs> and then we have this warning here about not being wise in our own sight. Never be wise in your own sight. And this leads to haughtiness. Now, nobody likes an arrogant person. Nobody cares for an arrogant person. I say in a general sense, nobody likes that. Never be wise in your own sight. Never, never think of yourself more highly than you should. Remember, he said that to us in the first part of chapter 12. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 3. If you have your copy of God's Word, you could turn and look at Proverbs right after Psalms. Proverbs 3. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't think that you have all the answers. Don't think that you're the smartest person. I was talking to a guy on the phone. uh, This has been a couple months ago. And he said, Terry, he said, you know how... uh, you go into a room and, you're, and you know that you're not the smartest person in the room? I said, yes, I feel that way all the time. He said, I've never felt that way, because I'm always the smartest person in the room. <laughs> Isn't that funny? The nerve to say that, right? I mean, the nerve. It's just... But but there are people like that, aren't there? And that's not the kind of people that you and I ought to be. Better is to be of a humble spirit. Better it is to be of a humble spirit. Never be wise in your own sight. Don't look at yourself and say, I am wise. Let other people acknowledge your wisdom. Proverbs has that great reading where it says, even a child who keeps his mouth shut, I'm paraphrasing, is considered wise. When I was a kid, this happened to me all the time because I wouldn't talk to anybody. I was I was very I was very morose as a kid. People would say, "Yeah, Terry, he, he looks like he might really know something because he's not talking, like he's really being circumspect." And I remember I, I was standing there going, I, was, I, "I would be standing there thinking, I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> I have no clue. I'm just being quiet that way nobody knows how dumb I am." And uh, so that's what Proverbs says. Now, in verse 17, it gets back to this evil business. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Repay no one evil for evil. John Gill warns us, he says, this is about private revenge. Some people take a passage like this and say that no one should ever punish evil. Because it says that, right? Repay no one evil for evil. Don't don't punish anybody. McGill says this is a warning about private revenge, because there are institutions that have been set up to punish evil by doing bad things back to them. Now, there's two institutions that Christ has set up, that Lord has set up in the church, that the Lord has set up that have the power, the divine mandate to punish evil. One is civil government, and the second is the church, because the church can excommunicate people from its fellowship. Now, it doesn't mean that the church has the right to wield the sword and cut off a thief's hands or cut off the head of somebody, as it has been interpreted sometimes in church history. But it means that a church has the power to to exclude people from the fellowship for unrepentant sin. This This is in the Bible. But we're not supposed to repay evil for evil in private matters. Don't be vengeful. Bad behavior by other people should not be used as justification for bad behavior by you or or I. It is a dishonorable thing to be a vengeful person. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. It's not ours. Don't repay evil for evil. If you're standing there in a line at school and somebody steps on your foot, don't step on their foot back. If you're playing basketball with somebody and they give you an elbow underneath the basket, don't give them one back at the other end. No. That's something that I can't really live up to. (laughs) I'm trying. (laughs) That's not how we should be as Christians. And and we know this because that is not how Jesus was. When Jesus was mocked and reviled and ridiculed by people, how did Jesus respond? He blessed them anyway. He was kind to them anyway. This is the way of Christ. Christ. This is the mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, Take your Bible, turn to Ephesians 4. Listen to this reading. Where the apostle tells us how our attitude with persons should be as Christians. Look at Ephesians 4, this is 31 and 32. The apostle says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Put these things away from you. Now, this phrase, put away, is, uh, in some places in the Bible, putting away is this phrase they use to describe divorce. And once you get a divorce, you know, that, that part of your life is over. If you get a divorce from your husband or wife, then, you know, the relationship is not the same as it used to be. For most people, it's probably over. And here is that same idea, put away. Put away these things from you. Put away bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and, slammer, and slander. This is where when somebody does you wrong, you want, to talk, you want to talk bad about them. You want to run them down. You want to make a lot of noise about them and slander them. Now, now I, hate, I hate to admit this, but this is so common for all of us. This is, a, this is a big struggle for us. Put these things away. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is how we should be with one another, being forgiving, being gentle, not becoming bitter towards one another turn to James chapter 5 and listen to what James says there In verse 9 in the authorized version it has a slightly different reading it says in the authorized version it says grudge not against one another but here in the english standard it says do not grumble against one another don't grumble about each other. Well, that's that's very hard. To, that's it's very hard to live up to, isn't it? Grumbling against each other. Because some of you people get on my nerves. Now, let me ask you a question. Just be honest. Isn't that true? Isn't it true that within the church there's such a diversity of people, and opinions, and. Uh, attitudes and ways they conduct themselves that there are some people who can get on your nerves. Is that right? Everybody needs to say yes. <laughs> that, way, that way, that way I'm not the only person with the problem. <laughs> Sometimes that's the way it is. I remember when, when Valerie and I first got married, we were, uh, you know, I, di- I didn't realize how brilliant and smart she was. When we first got married, I just thought she was a pretty face. And so, we were, I was, uh, after we got married, I became the bus director at our church, which was, we had these bus routes, and I was in charge of coordinating the bus routes that went through the city of Benton, picking up kids and bringing them to Sunday school. And uh, I wasn't, I'm not very organized now, and I was way less organized then. I was 19 years old, had, had a wife, had this ministry responsibility, and uh, every Saturday we would go out and we'd visit the streets, and we'd knock on doors and try to line up people to, to ride the bus on Sunday. And, uh, and I had four or five, four or five routes, where, 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 you, had, you had routes, you had bus captains, they had workers, and it was my job to kind of, you know, get everybody pumped up, and rah, 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 get out there, and... <laughs> Valerie's laughing. <laughs> and so, but we're out on this street this one day, and I was kind of frustrated because things hadn't had these big planes, you know, and things were not going that well. And we standing outside the car, and I told Valerie, I thought I was very clear. I told her and this girl Bethany, I said, I want you guys to go down this street and visit those houses on that side. I'm gonna do this side, etc. And and I could tell I was talking to her, she did not she couldn't tell what I was saying at all. And she said, What? And I yelled at her. I told you go this way. And she's like, you are so ambiguous. I had no idea what that word meant. (laughs) That made me even crazier. I had no clue what she was talking about. I said, I don't even know what that means. You're, you're. (laughs) And, uh. Yeah, it really got on my nerves. (laughs) And uh, you know, that's just how it, it, it. Relationships can be that way. You can get on you can get on one another's nerves sometimes. But we should repay no one evil for evil. Do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do the honorable thing towards the people who are doing you evil. Do what's right towards them even though they've done what's wrong towards you in the sight of everybody. Because here's what's going to happen. This happens on, this this happens. um, Valerie has a great little story about this. I wish I could remember it better. It's uh, her brother, I think her brother told her, um, yeah, that basketball thing about not, not getting the foul. Will you come up here and tell me? Ballard's going to come tell this story for us. Here, you tell. So my brother played basketball. It was his passion. And he uh, was very, like Terry, he would get very upset when um, he would get fouled. And so his, when the ref didn't call the foul, that really made him upset. So when he would retaliate and foul him back. But the ref always saw the retaliation. He never saw the original foul, no matter how many. And so then my brother ended up getting the foul. And if you get so many of those, you know you're out of the game. So one day I was really mad about a situation, and I really wanted to get even with some people and tell them again, I'll give them the peace of my mind, the last piece of my mind. And he said, "Valerie, don't do it because the ref, you know, you'll get caught. You'll get caught in the, with the retaliation. Nobody'll know that they wronged you, but they'll know you wronged them because they'll only see that side of it. So, <laughs> so don't do it because the ref will always see the retaliation." <laughs> Thanks, Bill. That was very unambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> it, was per, it was perfect. That's what that means. Honorable and sidewall. Do what's right. Because that's what, what, that's what people are going to see. Do, if you do what's right, you don't have nothing to worry about. Now, verse 18. Now, this is an interesting section here. Because it says, if possible, if possible, as far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. There's the key words here. The first is, if possible. If possible, live peaceably with all. Now, there are some people who have temperaments and dispositions with which you can never find peace. They're just churlish. They're difficult. You You just can't reason with them. They're just bad. And no matter what you do, no matter how kind you are to them, they're just always crazy. So if possible, as far as it depends on you, you need to be sure that you are not the real problem here. You need to be sure that it's not you that is provoking this person or these people and making them crazy. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. You want to be at peace with everybody. Albert Barnes points out here that we should work at cultivating peace with everyone. And that means to remove any excuse for conflict on our part. We shouldn't be looking at them and saying, if they would just straighten up their act, then I would act better towards them. You can't change other people. This is one of the most frustrating things about counseling with people is they come in and they say, you know, my husband is this, and he needs to stop being that way. Or my wife is like this, and she needs to stop being that way. And I'm going to say, that's true. They need to stop. But you can't make them stop, can you? The only thing you can do is work on you. You need to be a nice guy. You need to be a nice gal. You need to be a Christian towards them. Remove any excuse for conflict on your part. Cultivate peace with everyone. Cultivate peaceful relationships with your spouse, with your kids and parents and co-workers, church family and schoolmates. There are those people in the world who seem to thrive on conflict. They love conflict. They love to fight and be at war with people. And that's the kind of person who is... uh, if you can be at peace with them, sometimes the only way to do that is to, it's to separate from them. Sometimes it's the only way you can do it. In verse 19, the apostle goes on to say once again, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. When you've been wronged by someone, instead of being vengeful or retaliating, leave it in the hands of God. Leave it in the hands of God. Let God take care of it. My dad was pastor in a church in Virginia when, when I was a kid. It was about Matt's age, I guess. And uh, the people in the church were all mad at my dad. And um, they had a meeting down the basement of the church. And, and they, my dad was a Yankee. He was from Illinois. And we were in uh, western, western Virginia, not West Virginia, western Virginia, near, near a town called Lexington, and um, on a Wednesday night, the, they had a church meeting in the basement, and they made all the kids stay upstairs, and uh, a, a deacon stayed there with us, and we sang songs for about an hour and a half. And then down in the basement, the whole church was down with my dad, and they were just giving my dad the business. They told him they were all mad at him, that they wanted him to leave, and they were, they were just flipping out down there. And the reason they were mad at him was because he, my dad wanted to have a camp meeting, at the church, and you guys, how many of you guys have been to a camp meeting? Anybody? A camp meeting? Just a few people. And so you have services on Monday morning, Sunday, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, then after the morning service, you'd have food, and then after the evening service, you'd have food again. And my dad wanted to have a camp meeting, because we were in Virginia, and camp meetings were kind of part of the, part of the way it was there. And he wanted, he asked all the ladies in the church to cook meals, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and and uh, they didn't want to do it. And him being the gracious pastor he was, he said, Black, you do it. <laughs> Obey them to have the rule over you, you know. <laughs> and so got everybody all mad. And they got down in the basement, and the man there yelling at him and told him to, my dad my dad said the funniest thing was, is they, they were, it was like the Civil War. Yankee, go home. <laughs> you know, just get out of here. Why don't you go back to Illinois where you belong? We don't want you here. And my parents, they come up out of that, that meeting in the basement. And, uh, man, my parents were shook, you know. We'd moved out there to serve this church, and they were just tore up. And and my dad, he said, you know, these, he said, they, he said this is not, this, they're just upset. And, it's, you know, he wasn't really too mad at them for it. I was pretty mad at him <laughs> because I didn't like the fact they were talking to my dad that way. And um, I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story because it's too crazy but my dad my dad said he said god will vindicate god will vindicate he said it won't happen this week or next week he said but god will vindicate and over a five-year period those same people who were mad at him when he resigned uh, about five and a half years later those same people cried and begged him not to leave the church because they realized it was just just a painful episode in the life of the church but he wasn't vengeful about those things. God vindicates. You have to leave things in God's hands. You have to learn to do that. To trust God with these things. The apostle goes on to say, he says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you'll keep burning coals on his head. Instead of being vengeful, Be merciful. Be like Christ our Lord who from the cross, what did Jesus say from the cross while they're piercing his side? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the key. They don't know what they're doing. You need to remember about, about people that you have relationships with sometimes is they don't really know what they're doing. They don't really know what they're doing. Do not overcome Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Take the high road of Christian living. Even if it costs you pain and difficulties, follow Christ. Because God does vindicate. Sometimes that vindication may not take place until the last day. But you will be vindicated if you follow the way of Christ, if you live a life devoted to Christ. Now I'm going to give you six final things. we'll be done. All right? Six final things. You ready? Number one: A sermon like this can cause you to feel pretty bad. So if, if, if you've been behaving the opposite of what these verses say, what you need to do is to recommit yourself to the Lord and put on a new way of life. This is the great thing about being a Christian. is you could have dropped the ball all the way through today, you can start to new fresh. And God doesn't hold yesterday against you. His mercies are new every day. His mercies are new every day. You can start fresh tomorrow. You can start fresh right now. They're right there in your heart where nobody can see. You could pray, Lord, forgive me for not living like I should have. Forgive me for these things I've been doing that are not right. And the Lord will forgive you. And it's like those, sin, those sins never, never existed at all. Number two, if you look through Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21, and you don't have any of these marks in your life, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not a Christian. Because salvation, our justification before God, is not attained by works. We're not saved by works. And our assurance of salvation doesn't come by works either. We are justified by faith in God. We're justified by faith in God. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that God has raised him from the dead, then you can be saved. It means that you are saved if you believe those things. No man can confess that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. But if you don't have any of these marks in your life, it does mean you need to try to do better. You need to do better for sure. Number three, the way we live and behave is just as important as what we say. If you say that you are a Christian, that means you're saying that Jesus is Lord of my life and you should live as he commands you to. Following the way of Christ goes contrary to your flesh, but that's the way you should live. In Luke 6.46, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I tell you? Why do you call me Master, but you don't obey me? We need to obey Christ with our life. Number four if you're just rolling your eyes inwardly or justifying why you cannot live this way, then you have a serious spiritual problem. You have a serious spiritual problem. And, it mean, and there's two... There's two there's, it means one of two things. One, it means that you are not a Christian. And for some, for some people, this is something that you really need to think about. Maybe I'm not really a Christian after all. That would kind of make sense. Why I don't care about the Bible or church or praying or something the Lord, this Lord. This might answer all the, oh, I'm not a Christian. That, yeah. Or secondly, you just, you've drifted away from the Lord. And you're, you've become embittered and hardened. Embittered and hardened. Prolonged disobedience to Christ hardens us. And the remedy for our disobedience can be very painful. The remedy. Proverbs 28, verse 14 and 29, 1 through 6, all say this in summation. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck and shall be broken in that without remedy. If you get hardened towards God, Hardened by sin to crack you, to, 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 to break that shell, to break that hardness can really have some negative consequences to it. The pain of disobedience. The pain of disobedience. Well, the last thing I want to say to you is this, is that maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian at all. And you came in here knowing that you're not a Christian. I want you to know that you can leave here, you can leave here a Christian. What it takes is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because you need his righteousness. The only way you can be saved from punishment for your sins is if you cry out to Jesus and ask him to save you. The Bible says it, whoever calls upon him will be saved. You say, well, my sins are too many, not too many for him. My sins are too bad, not too bad for him. Not too bad for him. Jesus is a savior of sinners. He came to save sinners. And he'll save you. He'll save you. If you don't want to take my word for it, when you go home, you could read Romans 1 through 3. When we get to the last part of chapter 3. You'll read these delicious words. I'm going to read them to you. Then we're going to be done. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. You can be justified before God through faith in Jesus Christ, through believing in Him, without works, without any admixture thereof, just simple faith in Jesus Christ. You can be saved. You can become a Christian. You can start this life of living for Him. Now let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. for this time to be together. And uh, I pray your blessings upon your people this morning. And, uh, I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here who is not a Christian that you would save them. And if there are those Christians here who are living disobedient lives, that you correct them, Father, bring them back to you. I pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Well, let's stand together.